Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me, a woman in desperate need of a nap, Avery, at Brave Grapes. I'm always fucking yawning. I don't know what it... Like, I sleep. <laughs> Do you know how often I have to fucking, like, go into our audio and cut out you yawning? And Is you're it like, loud? <gasps> I try to, like, I try to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. I don't know why I sleep enough. I, it's just like, I think it's because of work. Like whenever I fucking get on my, in my work setup, because that's where I record. I think I just like, I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> it's a conditioned response. Are you working? Did you work today? They giving you the, the week off between uh, so Christmas and New Year's? Technically, I don't have the week off, but like, I would say 80% of the company takes their PTO starting on like la- the week before Christmas through the rest of the year. So they just don't work. And that means I just don't have any f- work to do. So like I'm, I'm quote unquote working. I'm on the clock, I guess, but like I don't have anything to do. So I don't understand why people in tech save their PTO because th- no, nobody fucking works this time of year. <laughs> I know, Anyways. but I, I thought about that, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm like not getting any emails. Like I feel almost like bad. Like, like if I was like, yeah, I worked all three of those days, the 27th, 28th and 29th or whatever. I'm like, you know, if anyone was like, you know, if they, if, like if my boss, I signed my timesheet and I was like, I worked all those days. And she's like, what'd you do last week? I'll be like, uh, I fucked around. I did nothing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess like I'm on, I'm salaried. So it's like. Yeah, but, but it's like, weird because leading up to this time, my manager and like my team leader, they all are like, "I are you taking time off?" I'm like, "No, I'll be around." They'll be like, "Well, no, everybody else is, so like, don't feel like you need to work if you don't have work to do." Like they'll say so that to take me. Take time off, yeah. So you take. T- does that mean you get the okay? So to, I think what it means is like log the be, hours and save be the vacation. On my, have my computer open and be available, but like, don't make up shit to do. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> i haven't i've answered just get like some clarity can we get like just make this whole end the last two weeks of the year like v- like federal vacation time literally like, that's like the children get it why not us <laughs> southwest took a vacation why can't we yeah um anyway so we have uh th- this is a pac basketball ish podcast uh we had, not a lot has happened over the past week. We can talk about it for a few minutes, but we have other plans. We're going to talk about Glass Onion because that's been on our minds because that came out uh, this past week and we have many thoughts about it. And we're like, why not? People, people, maybe they, maybe if they've watched it, maybe they don't. Maybe uh, our spoiler filled discussion about it will get people to watch it. I don't know. But we did get a few basketball games. I guess I'll just recap them real quick. Uh, Washington State. Went 0-2 over the past week. They lost to Utah State and Hawaii. Meanwhile, uh, Arizona sleptwalked through most of the Morgan State game. Uh, eventually, they ended up winning 93-68, but it was, a, I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was close there. Uh, any other highlights here? I guess Cal won a basketball game. Finally, they beat Texas Arlington. They were favored to beat Texas Arlington. Didn't have Devin so, ask you for that like- one the only winnable game on their schedule so yeah good for them i guess if ken palm thinks that oregon state in berkeley is winnable but i don't think so i don't think oregon state is that bad uh so yeah they it'd be interesting to see if they get to three now now they got one out of the way so i I guess that saves mark fox's job for the rest of the season uh tcu beat utah uh somewhat i would it was 75 71 but somewhat handily like tcu controlled much of that game unfortunately yeah utah snuck in there at the end but they were never really in it yeah they were they were battling in they were in it enough to make tcu work but it was not um it was it was not a back and forth i would say uh auburn beat the shit out of washington well with zero hesitation uh the biggest i think the most surprising shocking result san francisco beat the ever-living fuck uh out of uh uh, out of Arizona State, uh, ninety-seven to sixty. I'm just realizing now. Uh, I, I I meant ever living. Um, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just uh, uh, 
I'm remembering some tweets that I made. I made some tweets that said UCLA would have won the Pac-12 if defensive coordinator Bill McGovern had never gotten injured. And then I tweeted, UCLA beat the ever-loving shit out of the Pac-12 champion <laughs> Utah and also beat the ever-loving shit out of 10-2 UW. Is it ever-loving or ever-living? I thought it was ever-living. I don't know. It could be, it could be either. I don't, ever I'm not great at those words. Loving. You're right. It is. Well, it says, un, uh, which loves unceasingly or unconditionally. I'm going to delete that tweet. <laughs> anyway. Um, I just think it's funny because our dear friend Gabe was talking some serious shit. He's an Arizona State fan. <laughs> he was talking some serious shit about how, particularly Carlos had tweeted multiple times that Utah might be the third best team in the conference. And Carlos, you tweeted this like three weeks ago or like a month ago or something. And Gabe was like trying to ratio for this while Arizona state is getting their ass kicked, just absolutely handed to them by San Francisco. And I thought that was very, very funny. (laughs) Yeah. They don't have, uh, that's kind of shitty. I gotta, I gotta say, I was like really excited for like, Oh, you know, Arizona state, maybe they have a third best team. Like, you know, they're going to, they figured some stuff out. Like they're going to be a real contender and they get completely blasted by San Francisco. That game was over like within the first, I don't know, 20 minutes. The game was, let me see. It was 50 to 23 at the half. Um, it, it was a, an embarrassing performance. Again, Arizona state's offense completely failed them. Uh, Bobby Hurley got kicked out of this one. So we finally got the collapse that we've been waiting for grapes, especially you, Waiting for the old Bobby Hurley meltdown. It did come. It came. Uh, he did get kicked out of this game. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Arizona State's limping into uh, conference play, licking its wounds. And their first matchup is going to be against, uh, I think it's Arizona, right? Yeah, Arizona, Saturday, December 31st at 11 a.m. They get to host Arizona in Tempe after that uh, humiliating performance in San, uh, against San Francisco. So, tough scene for the Sun Devils. Anything about uh, Pac-12 basketball this week that you feel like is worth calling out except what we already did? Washington State is down so bad. Washington State um, got beat up by Hawaii, and then they got beat up by Utah State, which neither of them are like bad right now. They both have good winning records but they're in the mountain west and i think that's embarrassing yeah. to lose those games yeah i barely escaped george washington and i get that like you know there i get that washington state's banked up right now but like i don't know they've got most of their team like playing muhammad gay is playing he played 38 minutes against utah state tj bomba played 37 minutes against uh utah state justin powell played 33 dj rodman played 21 andrej uh yakimovsky he played 18 like their best players are playing uh i i don't know how much like how much injury uh how much of an excuse injuries are at this point uh when they've got a, a good chunk of their team, like their best players, I think. So I'm not, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's up with Washington state outside of their injuries. I get that their depth issues are real, but like their depth issues should not be enough to offset their four best players being available. Like, I just don't buy this argument that they're, that this is all because of injury. Like so clearly they've got some other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, if they shot, uh, and they're not shooting, I guess it's maybe their three-point shooting. They went three for 13 against Hawaii. And this is a problem with Washington State last year, too, that they would take a ton of threes. And if they don't make them, they're screwed. They went two for 17 uh, against Utah State. Uh, Let's see how they looked against George Washington. Uh, They shot... Why am I having a hard time? Three for 18 from three against... uh, Oh, that was George Washington. Washington State shot... Seven for 26 from three. Those are all uh, horrendous shooting performances, all three of those. So I don't know. It's getting weird now with uh, uh, with Washington State. Who knows what uh, what we're going to get from them at this point. So anyway, so that's Washington State. They are quickly becoming irrelevant and a non-factor. And maybe they're going to, if they figure it out in Pac-12 play, that would be super harmful to the Pac-12. Because yeah. again, those are bad really out of conference losses. Um, and if they start winning games in conference, it's going to hurt the Pac-12. Anyway um okay yeah ucla beat uc davis uh 
again, we're now going into conference play, so these are just the final ends of this. Uh, UCLA does get Washington State and Washington to start. If you're curious about Arizona, they get Arizona State to start uh, conference play. Uh, other than that, you know, USC, I guess, also gets Washington, Washington State as part of the LA Washington trips, but nothing, nothing else. I don't know. It's just been a very slow week in terms of Pac 12 basketball. Mm-hmm. Anything else in terms of hoops? I'm just excited for conference play to start because I feel like we've been at the point with non con for honestly the last month where it's just like, okay, I'm <laughs> the first like two weeks of non con are fun because you missed basketball. You get a few fun matchups sprinkled in there, but now I'm just like kind of over it. And yeah, conference basketball is so much more fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's way more fun. We know the players on both sides. We have expectations of them coming in. Like, yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, a lot more fun. All right, uh, Pacto football. We got anything here? Okay, I just learned today. I don't know if I like just haven't been paying attention to Twitter or something. If I'm too busy with my hands all over masa to make tamales, <laughs> uh, I, I did not realize Dorian Singer went to USC. He transferred to USC. Was the thing? Oh yeah, it was last week. Yeah. Um, why did I? Why am I just learning about this today? Oh, none of none of you fucking texted me that Dorian you. Singer was going I to USC. We were all watching it super closely, but maybe it's just because Matt Matt like genuinely thought there was a chance he'd go to Utah, and I think that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I think it's because like the first offer he was extended after he hit the portal was from Utah. At least like the first one he tweeted about. Yeah, he was doing the thing where he's like, "I have received an offer." Blah blah whatever. Um, and like Matt, I don't know if it was just Matt doing Matt shit, but if Matt, <laughs> Matt if you genuinely think that he had, would ever consider going to Utah, I don't know how you could hope for a very talented wide receiver prospect, especially a transfer that like is elite. He's like one of the best wide receivers in the conference and is probably looking for a better situation. He's not going to Utah. They're not going to pick Utah. Utah is where wide receiver talent goes to die. Like it's very rare when they get a very talented wide receiver. And it usually comes in the way of like Devon Bailey is their most talented wide receiver right now. He was a, he was a walk on like Utah is not going to get a elite player yeah. wide receiver talent to like commit it's it's not good for them <laughs> yeah um yeah no i mean it's uh it's ah uh, we got to talk about usc though like they are doing it again where they're just like plucking the best players in the pack 12 from the transfer yeah. portal like dorian singer we all talked about it like dorian singer the best uh player in the transfer portal the highest profile player in the transfer portal dorian singer he himself by the way was a walk-on at arizona uh, well, that's until true. He, until he I had a big breakout year last year, leading the Pac-12. I, I had to learn about this shit from the podcast of champions. I like learned about it this morning when I was like listening <laughs> to their podcast from last week. So um, uh, that is, uh, again, USC is doing that thing um, that we're all terrified of. And if USC fans are in your mention saying that uh, the Pac-12 is a farm system for USC, they are currently <laughs> correct because they are um accumulating talent dorian singer uh like pretty good replacement for jordan addison if i'm being honest that's uh that's terrifying they're gonna be terrifying yet again on offense uh anyway is that it for pac-12 news was there anything else that happened i mean did anyone else transfer somewhere that no one told me about mm. dj dj uangalele yeah, he's at huge. Oregon State now. Yeah, and the discourse around this was so fucking annoying. I tweeted about, I was tweeting about this up and down, but people are like, it's like the new edgy um, take to say that he's actually not an improvement and will only hurt Oregon State. Please watch Oregon State play football. Go back in time. You don't have, you're not allowed to have an opinion on this until you've watched Ben Goldbranson play in four separate games. <laughs> okay. Go watch those fucking games. I don't care how bad he was at Clemson. I don't care how much he struggled. I genuinely believe that Oregon State would have been a better team this year if they just didn't have a fucking quarterback. Like if they just had another running back play in the backfield instead. Because that is how bad and Ben Goldbranson, if you're listening, I'm I'm sorry, but you you should aspire for other things than playing um football anyways people are saying this shit about how he's actually really bad and he's gonna be bad at Oregon State because he's gonna take away from the running reps and I 
Jonathan Smith is a smart man. Jonathan Smith beat Oregon by abandoning the pass and running 19 consecutive times. I don't think he's going to be stupid enough not to pull a quarterback that's playing poorly. Like, I think they'll be okay. I, I don't see a world where this is worse for Oregon State. It's insanity. Yeah. I, look, I, I have not. I have watched uh, zero snaps of DJ, uh, DJU. And so I don't really have a good assessment of him. But, like, statistically, he seems fine. It seems like, from what people are saying, that he came in as a talented player. People are like, oh, he's not good. He sucks, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But, like, if he's truly a talented player, and, like, I I don't know. I tend to think that the recruiting um, evaluations are, like, at least somewhat close in saying he's at least pretty talented, um, he had 22 touchdowns, 29 total touchdowns rushing and through the air to just seven picks um, and had 545 yards of uh, of rushing yards. I don't uh, I don't get how this is not an upgrade over Ben Goldbranson. I think it is. It's clear. It's clear. Uh, a clear upgrade for Ben from Ben Goldbranson. Uh, Goldbranson uh, is not a power five level quarterback. He's not an F. BS level quarterback Jonathan Smith the reason why uh Ben Goldbranson looks serviceable is because Jonathan Smith has done an incredible job of limiting Ben Goldbranson and Ben Goldbranson has looked the worst when Jonathan Smith has asked him to do more than what he's capable of which is just like quick check down shit handing it off like you know uh trying to manage the game and manage the offense like that's that's as much as you can expect from Ben Goldbranson and and you know uh to give the kid some credit, like he did that job admirably. Um, I don't think, I think he's being put in a bad position to have to run an offense like this, but he's also put in a pretty good position because all they're asking him to do is hand it off. DJ Uyunglele, if he uh, just steps in and plays the Ben Goldbranson role, he will do that role so much better than Goldbranson did Um, because he's talented because he probably has a, uh, at least slightly more accurate arm. I would, I would assume, um, I, I don't know. And this is coming off of his bad years at Clemson or mediocre years at Clemson are coming off like turmoil, like a tumultuous, like coaching staff situation. Like his offensive coordinator left his co-offensive coordinator left. I think his quarterback coach left. Like, He's had to deal with some turnover there. Um, and so, yeah, he can't, he's not able to play at the level of like a Clemson. But if you just even, if you just like lifted DJ Uyunglele's stats from Clemson and like put those stats exactly like yard for yard, touchdown for touchdown, interception for touchdown, interception for interception, like one for one in Oregon State season this year, they're probably 11 and one. Um, how many touchdowns did Ben Goldbranson throw this year? Do we know? Let me look this uh, up. Seven is my guess. <laughs> seven? No, it's probably like 15. Maybe No, that's too uh, no, high. Nine. Ten? Nine. Oh, I was pretty Good close. Good guess. I like how you're just throwing out numbers. <laughs> well, I was like, wait, seven's pretty low. Let's go in the opposite direction without thinking. Nine. Uh, nine seems high. And I think nine. a lot of that came in how many touchdowns did he have in, against Florida, where Florida, like, either their guys were sitting yeah. out or they just didn't. They weren't playing. They were just yeah. standing in the backfield. Fourteen total touchdowns from Ben Goldbranson, like, and seven picks. Like, just swap out the number of touchdowns that uh, DJU that DJU got. Right, like that's what. And the uh, and the whole limiting interceptions is just the scheme he was in. Like, he yeah. just wasn't even making throws that could be picked off. So the fact that there are seven interceptions is is like kind of high from the way yeah. he's played. Add 15 uh, touchdowns to Oregon State season anywhere, uh, and we're talking about them as like a top 10 team and maybe Pac-12 champs. Like, just like randomly sort those extra 15 touchdowns that DJU generated over this year uh, in Oregon State season, and it's it's a much better year. So, I, I just I don't get. Uh, I, I think this is exciting. Like, we can talk about. Uh, we could be more positive and say this is exciting for Oregon State. Like, even if DJU is relegated to like a Bengal Branson role where he's not being asked to do a lot. He's still, it seems based on his, you know, rushing stats. Uh, it seems like he's a threat to run. Um, that's what people talk about him and say, like, even, even just that right there, like he, if he's a much better runner than, um, than Ben Goldbranson and Chance Nolan, that adds another dimension to Oregon state's offense that was already really difficult for teams to deal with. So yeah. I, 
I think this is a big, that's also, a big deal. the fact that I, I, he seems to be either the first or second best quarterback in the portal. The fact that they would choose an Oregon State is huge. Very big. Someone with a big name. I don't care if everyone thinks he's actually terrible. He's probably one of the biggest names in the transfer portal. And he chose Oregon State without even visiting Oregon State. That's really big. The name thing helps Oregon State a lot. So I'm very interested to see that. Another transfer, Keaton Slovis, is going to BYU. Yeah, former <laughs> former Very Pac-12 weird, player. very random. Yeah, very funny. Um, Keaton Slovis apparently was... So he was bad his last year at USC. He was ter- apparently terrible at Pitt. Again, watch zero snaps of Pitt. I'm about to watch like 100 snaps of Pitt uh, when they play UCLA in the, um, in the Sun Bowl. But uh, he apparently was really, really bad for Pitt. Um, so he can go be very bad for BYU. And, you know, the scouts can go crazy because they think BYU beating up on really bad teams is uh, is helpful for them. So good for him, I guess. Uh, anyway, any other transfers that we need to talk about? I'm sure. No. Yeah, I, don't, I can't I, think of them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, by the way, Jake Luton uh, for Oregon State. He had over his first two years at Oregon State when he was there, like in 2017, 2018, uh, 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions, uh, which, are, uh, you know, not great. He was not a good quarterback. And 2019 was became like an NFL level player to the point where he's like still on a 50, what a 53 man roster, 28 touchdowns, three interceptions, um, 2,700 yards. Like, uh, and Jake Luton, it was a transfer from Idaho. So I kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what Jonathan Smith can do with some, some real talent. I think it's gonna be fun. All right. Uh, let's move on to talk about, to uh, we'll just get into it. Uh, glass onion. I don't know. we, talked about this uh Wait, we in the group chat some questions that we got oh thank you yeah i am so all over the place today it's uh december 27th as we it's record okay. this We're, it's the sleepy time part of the year <laughs> we shouldn't even be awake right now um james our buddy james said what what would we put the 2023 colorado buffaloes over under win total at preseason mm. i think f- Ooh, i think four okay four is probably what i would do Personally, that's what I'd put the win. To- Does this mean like where I'd put the betting line, or is this like what I think they'll get? I think this is what you where you would put the line. Like where would you if you could like put a number down and you'd say fifty percent of people are going to bet the over, fifty percent of people are going to bet the under. Mm. Like where would you put that at? I think four is right. Four is probably right. I yeah. think their ceiling is six. Okay. Personally. Um, that's just like a very big hole to dig out of what they have. I know they've had like, they're like the third best, um, at recruiting the portal right now. So they've been kicking ass, but going from what they were this year to six wins is not going to be an easy feat. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think people are, people are saying that like, I've seen, uh, some Pac-12 people who I don't think, uh, have paid attention to Colorado, to be honest, say that Colorado is going to be like, their floor is going to be six wins and like, they're going to get seven. Crazy. That's insane. Uh, no, truly insane. Look at Arizona. Like Arizona had the most insane single gear roster turnover and they got to five and seven. And we think that's all a great, that we all think that's a great season, by the way. Like we're all convinced that Arizona is on a really, really good trajectory. Five and seven is awesome. Like, that's uh great for them. And I think we can probably say, like, if Colorado gets to four wins after this year when they should have gone 0 12, they were worse. 2020, 2022 Colorado is so much worse than what 2021 Arizona is that if they get to four wins, I feel like that would be a massive, massive win uh for the buffs. So I I think four is right. I would bet where would you bet that? would you bet the over or the under? They're uh their over-under was set at four. I bet the over. <laughs> Deion Sanders is really fucking cool, and I don't think we've factored in how much this can change a football team. I don't think we've... We've never seen... There's never been a coach in the history of football that's as cool as Deion Sanders. <laughs> he's, like, he's just really he's fucking cool. cool. <laughs> he's very fucking cool. That is right. 
Um, you're right. By the way, they are the they have the third ranked uh, class per twenty four seven in transfer recruiting, and overall the number twenty two class, uh, which is awesome. I mean, that's, that's really fucking good for wow. having gone having that's a, a one in eleven season where they really should have gone zero and twelve. Being cool, being cool helps <laughs> recruiting. I I saw a lot. This is like kind of going on a tangent, but I, there was like a tweet going around on Utah Twitter about how. Um, some tight end G5 transfer tight end chose Colorado over Utah and a lot of Utah fans were like yeah he wasn't a culture fit um, at Utah anyways and this proves that and I'm like I if Utah's culture was more like whatever Deion Sanders is cooking up over there it'd be so much easier to cheer <laughs> for Utah yeah like why do you want a culture where where it's the what, opposite. What, they, what do you think they mean? What do you think they think mean when they, they say culture I, fit? I think they want to call Deion Sanders a thug. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. I, I think the they culture... want to call Colorado's program thug ball now or some shit. Jesus. I, they're I have crazy. seen the culture fit stuff. I've seen the culture fit stuff. I, I got to say it's going to be a really interesting time to talk about the Pac-12 in the Deion Sanders era because I think he's currently, if I'm... Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, currently the only black head coach in the Pac-12. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he Stanford Stanford hired a white guy, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he's like, you know, I, I think he's just lives his truth and is confident in himself and is also a brand. Uh, it like relates well to kids and is uh vocal and is straightforward and direct. All of those things, I think, are going to piss a lot of people off. And I think the discourse around Deion Sanders is going to be toxic. It's going to be racialized. It's going to be bad. So we're going to hear a lot more of this culture fit shit. And yeah. it's going to be uh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really he annoying. He doesn't do any of the like bullshit that Kyle Whittingham does about like being overly respectful and nice. Well, and his, like, Kelly, definitely, all of them, right? All like, of them. Like his ingrained I mean, into college football coaches and college football fans that you have to like act a certain way. And that's why their fans get so mad about Caleb Williams painting his nails. Like the issue isn't that he put fuck Utah on his nails. The issue is it, deep down is that he painted his nails and he says whatever he wants. Like, so I'm sure that discourse is going to carry over to Deion Sanders because in his press conferences, he like, he doesn't hold back. He just says what he wants to say. And I think that's very cool. <laughs> and they're, People aren't going to enjoy that. Yeah. If now, if he like doesn't do well and he loses, like all that stuff's going to come back to bite him. But like, who cares? Like, coaches say this shit all the time. Like, how is that any different than our goal when some fucking milk toast white guy is like, our goal is to win championships here at fucking Arizona State. Uh, we are going to win championships. Our, you know, Chip Kelly had that press conference at UCLA where he's like, oh, I'm concerned about three things uh uh i don't know it was like friends and something and championships and you know i was like oh cool yeah uh dude like calm down the culture fit stuff is at hand but i'm really excited i think uh i i'm already if you, they're getting like a top 25 class and Deion sanders's first year after this after this season i'm really excited um I, I I don't I don't want to like set the expectations for Deion Sanders so, shouldn't be so high that like uh people are gonna just like say a four and eight season is a failure a four and eight season would actually be a really big step forward um and it should be treated that way and I hope if they do go four and eight and they're a competitive four and eight uh, and they look somewhat competent in most of their games they're gonna get blown out sure just because of the talent disparity but um, I hope people recognize that um, that would be a, a a big win it'd be big for Colorado so exciting shit. Uh, okay, we have another question, right? From buddy Chad? Oh, yes. Oh, fuck. Where is it? Hold, please. <laughs> to play the elevator music while I'm scrolling through. Do, 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 do. Um, oh, what current bowl-eligible team takes the biggest nosedive next year, and what non-eligible team rises the most? Let's start with the first one. Uh, the, for the Which bowl-eligible team takes a nosedive? I've got an answer of mine, but I'm curious, I'm curious you to go, for is you to go first. Is your answer UCLA? It is not. Oh. Um I think I think it's UCLA just because they that record wise, they had a really high record. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're gonna I'm not saying they won't be bowl eligible, but I think compared 
to where they were at this season with getting upset wins over UW and Utah. Like, we're not going to see that next year. Um, Dante Moore's supposed to start, right? Is he expected to start? I think he's expected to start. I mean, I don't think they're going to give him the job straight up, but I think he's the odds-on favorite. I think he's very talented and very fantastic, but like you get that true freshman shit that just makes everything harder. Um, Zach Charbonnet is leaving and that's going to, that's going to hurt not having DTR and Charbonnet in first season back. So, yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, think that's a fair point. Their schedule is also a little tougher. Like they'll get coastal Carolina, um, which I think will be under a new head coach. Is that right? Did Jamie Chadwell leave? I don't know anything about these trucks. Who knows what's going on over there? Uh, yeah, Jamie Chadwell went to Liberty. I forgot about that. Uh, so Coastal Carolina, I assume Coastal Carolina will be competent. Um, I don't know. They've been a good mid-major for a a few years now, so I assume they'll be fine. Uh, they play at San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State, another competent G5 program. They play the North, uh, North Carolina Central Eagles. That's an HBCU FCS team. They'll probably beat them handily. Uh, and they get at Arizona, at Oregon State, at Stanford, at USC, at Utah. Um, that That's not in any order. It's just sort of all their road games all at once. Um, and then they host Arizona State, host Cal, host Colorado, host Washington State. Um, this is gonna. This is a much tougher schedule. Um, got, they got to play at Utah. Uh, Utah turns into fucking Alabama when they're in Salt Lake City. At Oregon State, Oregon State turns into fucking georgia when they're in research stadium uh they play at arizona which will be a tough game um so yeah i think this will be this will all be uh it'll, it'll be a much tougher schedule um with with then they won't have zach charbonnet they won't have jake bobo they're probably losing a lot of other they won't players, get so. a billion games at home <laughs> um yeah so what was your anyway, answer that's a good one i've got I've got Washington State. Is it because your thoughts on their offensive coordinator hire? <laughs> uh, yeah, him being uh, 27 years old. That's uh, insane. That's got to be like one of the youngest um, coordinators in the, in the P5, right? Uh, it's got to be. Uh, definitely, yeah. I, it has to be. Uh, I can't imagine that there's many more. Maybe Kenny Dilling, the, Dillingham. No, Kenny Dillingham's offensive was, coordinator is Bo Baldwin, an old guy. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's uh, – here's the thing with Washington State is I think we saw them fall apart at the end of the year. I get that the bowl game is, like, really hard to, I don't know, uh, take away take much away from because of the transfers. But if you're saying that they lost that bowl game because they had so many transfers and players leaving, guess what? Those players are transferring and leaving for next year, so they won't be around. Uh, are they going to bring in enough guys to, like – you know <laughs> offset what they're losing i that's tough i feel really i would feel really scared if i were a washington state fan right now yeah um unless they you know you get another year of cam ward so that's cool but i don't know i'm a little bit i, I already feel like they're the worst of the bowl eligible teams by a good margin um i i'm getting more and more convinced that the top six of the top half of the pac-12 will all still be pretty good what like, is their record Seven and five before the bowl game. Yeah, I feel like their nosedive can't be more than like three lo- three losses, though, right? I don't think they'll be like a two loss team. I feel like they two sneak- win team. You mean that's what I mean? The two win team. Like I feel like four wins is like a fair expectation and like not as big of a nosedive as going from nine wins to six. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it is. Yeah, if they. I genuinely think, I mean, a nosedive, I feel like they could, they could go four and eight. Um, I feel like that's, yeah. that qualifies as a nosedive for me. Okay. Um, I and, just and looked the it others- up. I think that their new offensive coordinator might be the, the youngest um, coordinator in all of football. <laughs> like there's a lot that's of positions crazy. coach around, position coaches around like 25, 26, but I don't see anyone that's like a coordinator in football that is 27 or younger yeah crazy shit um okay yeah i don't uh, i i think it's i think it is washington State. what about a uh team that is not bowl eligible is that what the other question is not bowl eligible that's gonna rise arizona it's arizona i think Obviously. so i mean assuming i don't see that, any like, of the other teams besides i don't know colorado 
it's hard to guess with Colorado, but like I don't think Cal is going to be bowl eligible. Who else was Arizona State? Maybe okay. Arizona State is interesting. I think Arizona State. Um, I, I don't know what their recruiting class looks like right now. I don't think it's that good. I have to hit load more to find them. Oh no, I don't. Ty uh, they Thompson, have the number- starting quarterback for Arizona State, is going to be insane. <laughs> um, they are bringing in a fair amount of quarterbacks. I think. Um, let's see who they're bringing in. Uh, they're bringing in. Uh, they brought a couple transfers here. Drew Pine. Uh, apparently he's like okay i guess from notre dame he's like fine um and jacob conover from byu oh uh, yeah that was their backup quarterback yeah so those two guys i, I don't know that and they're gonna bring trent Burgay, and they're bringing in a freshman quarterback in israel carter I think they'll have. I think they'll be better at quarterback. I think they have enough residual talent still because talent doesn't leave that bad and that much and in that high. It didn't leave. It didn't, it didn't leave fast enough for them to have an untalented roster. So I think Arizona State could totally be like a six and six, seven and five, even an eight and four team with good coaching if Kenny Dellingham is a good coach. TBD. Um, but I, I'm I'm a little intrigued by them. I also think Arizona, you're right. I think Arizona is a good choice. I don't think that I think they're losing a fair amount of guys, actually. Uh, they're losing a fair amount of talent. They're bringing in a good amount. Uh, there's no question about that. They're bringing in Justin Flo um, and, a, and a few other uh, high rated high school kids. But I don't know. The Arizona schools are going to be interesting to watch. I think they could definitely take a big leap move uh forward next season i just have no idea what to expect from kenny dillingham as a head coach yeah i don't uh i don't either um he's a big unknown but we didn't we didn't know what to expect with dan landing and he went okay but you know different circumstances mm-hmm. um okay are we ready uh i've got we've got 10 minutes left here do you want to talk about what are your thoughts on uh glass onion we watched uh just for context we were talking about glass onion in our group chat and we all watched it it came out december 22nd or 23rd or something uh to rave reviews i we i think many 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 folks watched it i heard a lot of people talking about it the discourse was hot around it so let's hear what were your initial impressions about glass onion obviously for folks who don't know this was a sequel to Knives Out, except with a completely different cast, yeah, except for Daniel Craig. Yeah, it's more in the same universe or in like the same timeline. <laughs> yeah, it's like as Knives Benoit Out. Blanc's next yeah, mystery. L- Knives Out, if you haven't seen Knives Out, it's very, very good. I had a lot of fun watching it. I feel like you don't get a lot of like m- murder mystery um movies anymore and it's a lot of fun and but you definitely don't need to watch knives out before watching glass onion i saw like a lot of discourse around like well i haven't seen knives out it doesn't matter that they they don't the only character that is in the same in both is the detective and it doesn't the knives out storyline doesn't even come up once no so they're both fun movies and you can watch them separately i definitely I it's hard for me to decide which one I like more but I think I like glass onion more simply because I'm angry because it felt so short it felt like a very very short movie and maybe that's because part of it's like it goes through part of the storyline and then it like goes back in time and does it again so maybe that's why I felt like it was short but it was it was very very good and fun and I had a lot of fun watching it and I think something very funny about it is it was made in 2021 but it was like a direct um response to covid and like pop culture during covid so i think it's going to be very funny to watch in like five years because Mm. it it has like a a lot of references that happened during covid that make it just very funny and i enjoyed it a lot yeah i the thing i liked about glass onion i mean there's many things i liked about it but it was the it's Ryan Johnson's like um, his penchant for calling out power as a director. He directed uh, Glass Onion. He directed Knives Out. He also directed a bunch of other stuff, including uh, the very controversial uh, movie, The Last Jedi, the second of the newest Star Wars trilogy. Um, I think he's really good at uh, portraying power and pulling their pants down. Uh, like in this movie, it was sort of like everyone's a composite and everyone's like 
oh, what great timing. He's like calling out Elon Musk, right? The primary antagonist. By the way, spoilers. Uh, we're, we're just going to share spoilers. Should have said that up front. Uh, we'll put that in the description. Uh, it was, yes, it was like, oh, yeah, he's like clearly poking fun at Elon Musk. It's like, okay, it was Elon Musk, but it's also just like a composite of every other billionaire out there, right? Like, they didn't get their fortunes because they were like these fucking brilliant savants who, um, you know, worked really hard and were visionaries and had really great ideas. More so, it's just like these people end up with massive fortunes on pure chance and and um, by being uh, a bloodthirsty fucking criminals by stealing ideas from other people by appropriating other people's ideas and and doing that but they have a tremendous amount of power they wield a ton of power and like it's interesting watching um there's like two types of rich people in this movie there's like the millionaires which are like your scientists and your celebrities mainly and your influencers and like all that shit and these people make millions of dollars but then there's like the really really rich people like the billionaire who is uh, holding a ton of power over the celebrities, over the millionaires, right? It's like, yeah, they got like they got like celebrity money, but like billionaire executive money uh, is different, right? And they, I, I thought Ryan Johnson did a really good job of pulling down the pants on the celebrities for just you know going with <laughs> uh, being at the whims of a billionaire who really is the one who wielded all the power who said i can like make or break your career yeah you've got millions of dollars it's not enough uh, i can do a lot of damage to your career or i can lift it up um regardless of how much money you think you have so that was like a really cool thing to see like that was like very and he does you know now in both knives out there's a a regular, you know, I wouldn't say working class person, but middle class person. And this, in both cases, it was, they were women of color who were screwed over by these rich people, exploited in some way by these rich people and who got their revenge somehow in some way. Um, and this one, it was a little more explicit with Janelle Monet's character. Uh, I forgot the character's name, uh, already. Well, there's two names. Oh, that's right. That's right. Helena um, and, uh, what's the other? Oh my gosh! Started with an A or something. Andy. Anyway, Andy, there you go. Uh, you know the twist was that there was like they were twins the whole time. Um, so like that was a a fun twist. So anyway, I just really like the portrayal of power and the levels of power, um, and the ways that Brian Johnson just pulls the pants down on these people um, and says like, no, 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 people hold these people up as visionaries, as really talented folks, but like actually they're all fucking morons. They're just, they're morons who got lucky and who built on other people's ideas. Um, and in many cases stole them. So I don't know. It was really cool to see. I liked it a lot. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. It's an easy movie. What did you think about, uh, you know, they go late, like the first 30, 45 minutes is doing this, like, I don't know, kind of like world building around the glass onion, uh, itself. And then there's like, then the rest of the movie is like an hour. It's like an hour and a half of, Oh, now we're like rewatching the whole thing, but with like this new character, right? Like uh, that has entered, that has entered in. It's Janelle Monet's other character, the twin sister. Like, what did you think about that? I think that's why I felt like it was so short. Interesting. Because we weren't, instead of like, obviously it was new context, but it didn't feel like it because it was just like adding like an onion another layer to the story um i don't know i didn't dislike it i just wish the movie was longer i wish there was more to the story it also felt like i don't want to say it felt it was definitely more predictable than um knives out was yeah maybe that's because i had watched knives out and i was like waiting for it yeah it's a little harder to subvert expectations when the first movie like was about subverting expectations but i i think i was thrown off i was surprised by by um oh wow this is the it was the twin sister the whole time but then the Mm -hmm. whole time ends up being like how the twin sister is navigating uh this very particular situation um i was uh yeah you know for me it kind of felt a little longer actually Uh, like it felt like like i kind of was 
not that it was like too long. It didn't drag on. I think it was really wonderfully paced, but I didn't leave it being like, I want more of this. I need, I needed more of anything. I felt like it was appropriate. I think the, the thing that was like the weakest about this movie. And I think people are kind of talking about it is that the ending kind of sputtered a little bit. Uh, what did you think about the, What did you think about the ending? Cause at the ending, just for those who need a refresher again, spoiler, uh, Jill Monet's character, Helen, uh, she is handed, this ox, this the the hydrogen stone that uh, Daniel Craig uh, had been explained to by everyone there, including uh, the tech executive billionaire himself, Edward Norton's character, and is like, you know, here's this, and she blows, she she breaks everything in an effort to then blow it up and expose that this hydrogen fuel is actually deeply, deeply dangerous uh, and harmful, uh, and then she walks out and sort of it's assumed that she has now exposed this guy's like fraud. So I'm curious how you fe- felt about the ending. Cause it was, it seemed like it was uh controversial. People had ideas about it. Yeah. I feel like there wasn't much closure. It just kind of ended. I wish we could have seen more of like the aftermath. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's, I, I don't know if I needed to see the aftermath. I think what I walked away from that was like, am I supposed to believe that the, cops were going to i don't know this was going to be definitive proof that edward norton's character is a fraud and janelle monet was an innocent person like she destroyed the entire building and blew it up um and good for her i'm you know like that's based but also like just thinking about in my head like wouldn't the cops come after janelle monet's character also like would they not have said like Hey, you actually aided in burning down the Mona Lisa? Like, is this not your? Yeah, literally you destroyed know? like <laughs> the most priceless work of art, and, and a little bit of like a reliance on. Oh yeah, the cops are going to come and do their job and sort this out. Like, yeah, are, are, yeah, you know, how is like that, how is like how is what happened going to help? Like the tech, the tech billionaire is just going to like pay his way out of it. Yeah, that's what it would be assumed. Like, if you follow this to its logical conclusion, it's like, okay, sure, like, maybe he gets some time, but, like, really the person, like, that they're, that everyone's going to focus on, the aftermath actually could have been really interesting is the discourse around, you know, what happens now. Like, uh, Janelle Monet is going to, people are going to accuse Janelle Monet of, you know, blowing everything up, uh, burning down the Mona Lisa, helping to do it at least. Um so I don't know. That was kind of confusing to me. It wasn't confusing. It was just like eh, this whimpered out a little bit at the end. But I think that's why I ended up liking Knives Out better. Like if I had to choose between them, I'd I'd, I'd pick Knives Out just because I think the way it ended um, was both satisfying and made all the sense in the world. And it didn't it was matter. Definitely like a more well-rounded story. Yeah. I will also say it was much less annoying. Like I got extremely annoyed by the characters and I think that was like the goal of the writing, but like I had no interest in these characters. Like they felt very like some of them were fine, but like there's like, like the men's rights activists. I was like, I just don't have any fucking, this isn't funny to me. Like I just want it off my screen or like the model, (laughs) Like, they were just annoying. <laughs> like, I just didn't want to watch them. Whereas with Knives Out, like, it felt like the characters were at least, like, more interesting and had some substance. But I understand, like, the characters that I'm most annoyed with, like, purposely don't have substance because that's how people like that are in real life. Yeah. So it's accurate, yeah. but it just made me angry. And therefore, it was hard. Yeah, they were flat. <laughs> and they were intentionally flat. It felt like there was, like... Like in Knives Out, the first one, Catherine Lang- Langford's character, uh, the daughter of the rich family in the first one, uh, was like also like someone I wasn't rooting for. But like, you know, I was always sort of it was always kind of ambiguous. Like, oh, am I do I like this? Is this a good character? Is mm-hmm. she on uh, Anna the Automist's side? Uh, this one, I just like they were all really flat. Right. There's no dynamism to them. They were all annoying in Knives Out, too, by the way. Like, I felt like most of those characters were deeply annoying, bad people. Um, and I, and I felt the same here, but you're right. They were a little bit, uh, all of them were a little flatter. Um, all of them were a little bit more uh, like caricatures. I think it's meant to be, you know, the whole thing is meant to be a satire. It's a Mm -hmm. satire of the mystery genre, just like Knives Out was. It's a satire 
um, it's satirizing celebrity culture and influencer culture and uh, billionaires and their the power that they wield and um, you know how these people are, are generally kind of cowards to actual real power. Like I think that is uh, that was an, an impressive take. But yeah, I, I, you you felt invested in Janelle Monae's character only and only after it was revealed that it was not actually the woman. It wasn't Andy. It was uh, Helen the whole time. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I was really, what did you think of Daniel Craig's performance? He's, I, I don't know. I really loved, I really I loved him really again good. in this. Yeah. Very, <laughs> very misdirected. I, when they first got to the Island and he was yes. like profusely apologizing for being there, I was like, this is really fucking annoying, but it was on purpose. Yes. It was on purpose. It was very good. This is this movie's gonna be fun on the rewatch because I think uh, noticing and picking up on those things will be interesting. Like Daniel Craig being like, "Oh my god, I'm so happy to be here! Wow, this is great." <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, "This is out of character for uh, Benoit Blanc and Daniel Craig in this in this role." Like, this feels a little discordant. And then it came out that he's putting on a face, like basically, right? Uh, he was performing that role of like wow great so great to be here unbelievable and he in the entire time was like no i i i'm here to do a job um so that was that was impressive all right any other thoughts about uh glass onion before we go we got a, we're running out of time here no it was, it was great yeah great it was great uh it was uh bet what do you think where would you rank it among the movies you saw this year? Did you watch any movies this year? I didn't watch a lot of movies. I'm not did I. I'm not great at watching movies. I I can't sit still for that long. <laughs> More of a TV show person personally, but it was one of the better movies that I've seen in a while. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, that uh, ends our basketball episode. Thank you all very much. As always, we've got Patreon content coming up. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break. Just it's the week between December and uh january so that's what we'd expect uh but we'll get more content up there especially football content matt and reed are doing that you can find that at notruckstops.com as always please leave a five-star review on apple and spotify we'll read our favorite one every week i'll skip this week and maybe we'll read a couple next week honestly we'll even take a four-star review no (laughs) don't say that (laughs) maybe we're gonna leave four-star reviews (laughs) wow (laughs) get paid what you're worth i'm worth a five-star I'm worth a five-star review. Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, thank you very much for listening. That's Grapes. I'm Carlos. I appreciate y'all tuning in. And uh, how am I? Thank you for listening. Remember, there are no truck stops here. (laughs) Not even one. Quiet city street Things aren't always green